Welcome back to another episode of the Hitchcock Minute. Each week, Movies by Minute hosts examine the 1959 Alfred Hitchcock-directed thriller North by Northwest. One minute of screen time per episode. I am Curtis Blaze, and to the west and slightly north of me is my esteemed colleague, Jason Hummel. You know, Curtis, sometimes the truth really does taste like a mouthful of worms. (laughs) We are the hosts of the Better Off Dead Minute, the podcast that examines the Savage Steve Holland movie, Better Off Dead, One Minute at a Time. Join us now, won't you, as we unpack Minute 121 of the Hitchcock film, North by Northwest, already in progress. Okay, how many Hitchcock movies do you think you've actually seen? Because I'm looking at a list here. I don't even recognize most of them. <laughs> Quick, give me a plot summary for Downhill. <laughs> Haven't seen it. How do you know that's not your favorite Hitchcock movie then? <laughs> mm, that's true. The Ring. Oh, I love that one when she crawls out of the TV. <laughs> Hitchcock at his scariest. The Manx Man, so it's a guy without a tail. Are we just guessing what the movies are about based on the title? <laughs> so Call of Youth, there's a kid who is part of a uh, gang. But he gets separated from his gang, and then he befriends a person up in the up in the mountains in Alaska, and he takes care of the man. <laughs> but then ultimately, he gives his life fighting off other wild youth to defend the man. <laughs> Call of Youth. I love that movie. <laughs> oh, that's Call of the Youth. I'm getting that confused. <laughs> Three Live Ghosts. Sounds like one of his funny movies. So, so honestly, okay, I'm not going to list them all, but just stop me. I'm just going to scroll slowly. You stop me when you see a movie you've actually seen. Right? The Lodger. What? Huh? The Lodger. The Lodger. The, oh, oh. So we made it from So we made it from the first seven years of his uh, career before we hit a, a movie you know. Yeah. And you watch movies. Yeah. People, you don't know this about Jason, but he's got a, uh, he's got a blog. What's that thing called? Mondo Confidential. He has watched every movie you've ever heard of. I think his goal is to watch every movie that exists before he dies. At least every movie made before 1990. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds all right. I have to get up to 1935. I have to get into 15 years after he started before I hit one I recognize, still haven't seen. Oh, wait! Oh, oh, wait! 1934. Man Who Knew Too Much. I saw that. I liked The Man Who Knew Too Little better. Yeah, that's what the, the Hitchcock movie needed was some Bill Murray. Rear window. There we go. Now we're into stuff. See, 1958... To 1963 is my specific Hitchcock window. Vertigo, North by Northwest, Psycho, and The Birds. Yeah. There we go. Those are the movies I know. And I think that's kind of... I'll bet you, if you did a poll of people, 1958 to 1963, those... When someone says, name Hitchcock movies, those are the only ones they can come up with. Or the first to come to mind, at least. Yeah. Well, and then the struggle, and they go, oh, well, the man didn't do too much. Did I even know that was a Hitchcock movie myself, or did I just happen to see it? I, no, I think I just happened to see it and didn't know it was Hitchcock. Really? I just recognized it off the list. Huh. Hell, for all I know, I didn't even see the Hitchcock version. Well, I, he made two, so... Oh, okay, well... You probably you saw go. one of them. But anyway, Minute 121, this guy is clinging to the side of a house, Jason. Yes. How did he get there? With a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. I love that band. Wait, do I? <laughs> Can you actually name any blood, sweat, and tears songs? I can't. Mm, no. You can't, right? <laughs> no. Yeah, screw those guys. But they're jazz fusion. <laughs> Blood just shot out my ears. <laughs> How did he get to the side of this house? We're just dropped into the middle of this, 121. We haven't been covering the movie minute by minute since the beginning. That's been up to a bunch of other people. And we should probably cover that. Oh, no, wait, we did. 
There was an intro that we pre-recorded. Yes. That's right. So you know the score, guys. Okay, there was a scene where he's walking up the road. He's walking up the road to the house. <gasps> they were at Mount Rushmore. <gasps> oh, she shoots him. Yes. They're at Mount Rushmore. They have a tete-a-tete uh, in, in the, the woods. woods. And then she has to leave. Oh, because the CIA guy's like, okay, you have to go with him. And she's like, huh? And, he, and then Roger is like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and then does he knock someone out does somebody get knocked out anyway so here we are so he walks so he follows wait does he know where the house is or does he follow him there seems to be a follow situation because he shows up on foot he doesn't have his own car yeah if he knew where it was you think he would just take a car but anyway so he climbs up on this house he looks in the window and he sees leonard yes hiding a gun behind his back yep and talking to philip not just a gun but the gun Dude, do you love this lamp? Are you a lampshade appreciator? I swear my family had one like that. I think we did too. It was orange and it had the, it had the, like, the, the, what do you call that? The maple bark? Yeah. Is it maple? Some kind of bark. Now I gotta know. Hey, Google. What is the name of the bark that's on white trees? Birch? According to Honker. White birch is a deciduous North American tree with a planting range of U.S. Department of Agriculture plant hardiness zones 2 through 6. Birch it is. It's also got like, they probably used all the parts of the birch. <laughs> got like the, the lamp thing made out of the birch. Birch leaves that they're burning in the filament of the light bulb. <laughs> they compress the birch twigs into the metal used to hold the light. Okay, I'm being stupid. But anyway, Leonard has the gun in his pocket. And at second, so we're in minute 121, everyone, in case you're, in case you're on it. At second six, he takes the gun out of his pocket in view of Philip. He, he's obviously got something in his pocket. Philip's looking right at him. He must have been doing something with his left hand out of camera that we don't see. Sort of like a distracting. Mis- like, m- misdirection. Oh, yeah, he's doing some misdirection. He's like, hey, look at this picture of a naked lady I have in my left hand. <laughs> <laughs> Slips the gun out of his pocket with his right hand, puts it behind him. He's, he's, he's got a uh, face drawn on it like Senor Wences. Oh, yeah, that's because he's, ta- he's doing all, he's all his talking like that. Like, hello, there. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> We're actually making the hands. Actually, we that's how we actually brought a uh, podcast is we, we have little faces on our hands, and that's we, we just talk into the microphone that way. That's why it sounds like we're far away from the microphone, because in our reality, we're actually six inches away with our hands. <laughs> so we don't know it yet, but right here on the table next to him is the statue that he bought at the auction earlier. Yes. And inside of that statue is the microfilm. Yes. Bonus points if you can name what's on the microfilm. That's so important. I watched this movie two days ago. For the life of me, I can't tell you what's on that film. Me neither. Did they address it? Is that something that I, happened? I, I, don't, I don't think they did. It was just some microfilm, right? Yeah. It's, well... And so this was made... Was this made before or after the Cuban Missile Crisis? Before. Okay, so... About two, three years before. And by the way, they break it open earlier and we see the film. Not very micro. <laughs> it's macro film <laughs> macro fiche it's like 70 millimeter <laughs> what the hell Hitchcock yeah it's like a he's just stuck up he always he films on 185 so he goes 70 micro film <laughs> he's got David Lean in there somewhere it's Lawrence of Arabia that's what it is what are you talking about this show has gone completely off the rails minute three <laughs> For everyone screaming at your uh, podcasting device right now, go ahead, go ahead and write into the uh, the man up Lincoln's nose, the man on Lincoln's nose. It's the man in Lincoln's nose. The man in Lincoln's nose. No. Yes. 
You're going to freak. We don't even have the right president. It's the man on Washington's nose. Oh, yeah. But now I can't remember what the first part of that sentence was. If you guys are mad at us for giving you bad pod instead of just talking about the movie, just fooling around, talking to ourselves, go to the man on Washington's nose. It's a group on Facebook. It's, and, a, it's, it's somewhere on the internet. And tell us what's on the microfilm. I did it. I completed a thought. <laughs> it only took seven tangents in, seven, in, in eight minutes. Are these cassette tapes? Cassette tapes. Does he have a collection of of 80s style cassette tapes? Let's see, that's right next to... Right next to the, the statue. Uh, statue. It's sitting on top of these things, on top of this thing, so they'd be too small to be cassette tapes. Oh, there's a black band. They're like some sort of book situation that are banded in the middle. They're things held together with a band, so they look smaller. Those are books. Yeah, I can see now. <laughs> statue. <laughs> well, and the little stand it was on is also books. Yes. Yeah. So the statue uh, is wearing pants, has six toes on each foot, it has five fingers on each hand, it has those crazy ear gauge things. Yeah, like several ear gauges. And really super wide eyes. And a ring nose. And he's a fatty. <laughs> and he's got a clown hat on. What, what are we looking at here? Oh, he has shorts. They're not just pants, they're shorts. So he's got, like, swim trunks. And what's he doing with his hands, do you suppose? He's walking like an Egyptian. He has a hook for a hand. Nope, he's just got hands sticking up that are flat, just like this. Five fingers, six toes. He's, he's doing the robot. There you go. He is doing the robot. Holy crap, he totally is doing the robot. And he's got very big eye bags and a lot of gauges in his ears. You know, I bet there was 0% people that knew those were called gauges in 1958. Right. So they're headed to South America... And they've got what I imagine is the 1958 vision of what a pygmy looks like. It's weird that they're taking it to South America. Of course, they're not really going through customs either. They're just playing and flying down. Right. Do you suppose they filed a flight plan? When you have to? Well, yeah. Unless you flew under the radar. Someone had to cast this thing because it's hollow. Yeah. So it's cast, right? Yeah. That's how it works. Make it out of clay. Burnish it. Paint it. Or stain it, however. Or is it wood? It breaks open later, right? Yeah. What does it appear to be made out of when it breaks open? And then a third breast <laughs> up on his left shoulder right there. <laughs> or whatever. So I know for sure that we uh, already talked about the uh, the gun being stolen in the future. Yes. But how did he discover it shooting blanks? That tells me there's a missing scene where Leonard not only was in the house rifling through her Purse luggage... Her. Purse or luggage. Purse, luggage, whatever it is. He says he got it out of her luggage. Luggage. You know, if he would have said purse, then that would have made the whole thing where she's packing your luggage later and not being concerned about it a lot easier for me to take. Yeah. Um, so he gets it out of her luggage, and then he what? He's like, holy crap, it's that gun. And he yeah. checks it to see if it's loaded. Yeah. But he's going through her luggage. Why is he going through her luggage in the first place? Is he just so suspicious? He's like, oh, she's got to be a double agent. Or is he just so jealous? He's like, I want Philip for myself. I'm going to frame her any way I can. Well, I think it's, it's probably a little both. It's probably sus suspicion fueled by jealousy. Okay. So suspicion fueled by jealousy. I can buy that. So he's going through her luggage just looking for dirt on her. Yeah. And he's like, oh yeah, that gun. That, you know, the murder weapon. Yeah. That she shot the guy with in the gift shop. And the cops were like, eh. <laughs> Go home. 
that everybody knew was happening because even that little kid was like, woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's about to get killed. Nobody talks trash like that and lives. So he gets the gun. There's a scene where he rifles through her crap and he gets the gun. And then what? He's an East German agent. We haven't really talked about this yet. We've talked about this out of order. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a theory that he's an East German agent. We'll get to that in a future minute. Yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of going about this Billy Pilgrim style, you know? We're sort of unstuck in time. I don't even know what that means, but I like the word. <laughs> I'm going to be doing things Billy Pilgrim style from now on. So maybe he just recognizes blanks. Yeah. He's like, oh. And he like looks at it and he's like, oh, blanks. So it must be obvious what a blank looks like compared to a an actual bullet. Yeah. Because I've never seen a blank. I've only seen real bullets. Yeah, it's like... It's hey, like Google. A, oh, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. I, I think it's... Standard blank is like a little cardboard disc with like web. a little bit of wadding behind it. Hey, Google. What does a bullet look like compared to a blank? According to Quora, blank rounds do not have a projectile or a bullet. In place of a bullet is a crimped or sealed extension that prevents gunpowder from leaking. That's all it is. A blank is just simply a bullet without the projectile part of it. It's just crimped together where the bullet would be. Yeah. So then when you light it off, it blows it apart and the, and the, like the gun powder blows out. Yeah. And makes the explodey stuff without it actually shooting anything. Yeah. So it would be instantly recognizable as a blank. Everyone knows what a bullet looks like. Yes. Everyone grew up on a farm in 1958, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> even today, even like millennials who, I'm not going to go there. Everybody <laughs> knows what a bullet looks like for one, for one reason or another. Everyone knows that. So even if you saw it and only knew what a bullet looked like and didn't know what a, a blank looked like, you would still know that it's a blank because it's like, hey, where's the shooting part? <laughs> so it wouldn't have had to fire it off somewhere to discover it's a blank. So then his big scheme here is to reveal her as a turncoat against the East Germans. Hey, you know, she's like pretty damn German herself. Blonde, big. Mm -hmm. East, either East German or they're just American traitors. You know, I'm not 100% sure. What's your, what's your argument for American traitor? No German accent. Uh, you know. Um, okay, that's fair. Van Damme, well, Van Damme, that's a vaguely Germanic sounding name. Yeah. It could be... Check out, and, and we're going to talk about this later, too, but the housekeeper. Yeah, the housekeeper. She's not exactly Swiss, is she? No. What's the name of the, the minor boss on James Bond who gave the uh, massages that he had to get by? With the knife in her boot? Yeah. I knew that. <laughs> I knew that the other day, but now I'm like, ah. Oh, we already talked about her. Okay. Well, she looks like her. Yeah. We've got a lot of German stuff going on here. Except for you to a kill, by the way. From Russia with Love. Russia with Love, yep. View yep, yep. <laughs> to a Kill was... Uh, uh, oh, oh, uh, Walken. <laughs> Walken, yeah. Classic Walken. Walken and Grace Jones. I get such a Brady Bunch vibe from this from this house right now. The way those steps go up in the perfect place, combined with the, the limestone. Isn't it crazy to you, back in 1958, that this house was just a set that was breakaway? Yeah. What I One of the things I liked about Hitchcock that I'm that I'm only just now appreciating as I watch movies these days, is he didn't... He took... Let me say that differently. He took care to put stuff in the foreground. He took care to have a reason for you to be able to see them at the angle they are. Like, if there's a wall where the camera is supposed to be, he put a wall there. And then he had a reason for you to be able to see through it anyway, like a window. Yeah. There wasn't ever this thing where he's back to clear off, and you're seeing the whole room in one you know, wide-angle shot like they do on sitcoms and stuff. Yeah. There is literally a fourth wall. 
and he incorporates that into the into the shot. Yeah. And that's something I really appreciate about his filmmaking. It helps me feel more immersed. It helps me feel like I'm not looking at a set, even though we are literally looking at a set in a warehouse with a giant piece of screen wrapped around it to look like uh, the outside, which is all lit up. And he's got lighting in the room that makes it look like it's coming from the lamps because the shadows all work out. I mean, I guess I'm not saying anything revolutionary here. Hitchcock just really was. He just had a lot of attention to detail. Can you just imagine being friends with that guy? Having drinks with him? Well, he was hilarious. I mean, so obviously you would have a lot of great stories and a lot of, it was really witty, but yeah, you would, you would kind of worry that he'd be picking you apart at the same time. (laughs) Oh yeah, he was kind of mean, wasn't he? Yeah. Or at least he he gave the impression to me that he would be kind of mean. Yeah, it was part of the persona, you know. This is the first time we've encountered these things, and there's a couple of them in the room. Growing up in the 70s, born in 1971, you were born in 74? Yes. We saw crap like this art on the wall, this sunburst eye thing. Yeah. All over the place. Oh, yeah. That was just ubiquitous in the 70s. Mm-hmm. But here it is in 1958. Like, did did people just not change their taste from the 50s to the 70s? Maybe they just kept everything but added the orange shag carpet? Well, the, the late 70s was kind of the start of the retro 50s craze. You know, it, it came to full fruition in the 80s um, with, with music and... Movies and all that, but far style-wise... punk rock thanks you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the specific kind of formed and burnished artwork stuff. I saw that stuff all over. Maybe just because everywhere I went as a kid was my grandma and grandpa's house and people their age, and they grew up during this time. Yep. And so they bought their burnished sun, exploding sun eye star, <laughs> and then that was this cool thing that they got that time when they visited Arizona, and now it's just been in their house for the last 40 years. It's my brass supernova. Well, elephant in the room, Jason. Let's let's go ahead and dig in. His woman's intuition tells him that something's up. Yes. Call it my in- woman's intuition, Jason. Something's up here. You saw a thing talking about the, uh, the writers deliberately putting gay subtext into this? Yes, it was the uh, commentary track for uh, North by Northwest. So I think we touched on this in the past and in the future. But what specifically did he say about this? I mean, when he says, my woman's intuition, is that supposed to mean that gay men are like women? It's kind of a... Because that's not really the case. No, but it was... It's just got kind of a way of speaking like, oh, get her over there in that gaudy outfit when they're talking about an- another gay guy. So being trapped out of time here and watching this movie... Geez, how long has it been? 40, 50, 60 years ago? Yes. 60-year-old movie? Do you get the sense that audiences in 1958, to them, this would have been flamboyantly gay? Nah, I, I don't think so. So you think he was getting one over on him? He's like, I'm putting a gay character in here. <laughs> well, he, he said it wasn't 100% in, deliberate. In 2020, I'm going to make all the Republicans mad. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he, he, he said it just kind of happened. He didn't go into a lot of detail as to why or anything. That's That's been going on a long time in Hollywood where there's been like subversively gay things going yeah. into movies. Yeah. And really when anyone speaks of being subversive, God, I almost kind of think that's what they mean now. Yeah. It's like all the way along, all through history, everyone's like, oh, he's a really subversive filmmaker. It's like, oh, he's not gay stuff. Yet. That's basically what that means. Yeah. Sometimes it's drugs. Sometimes it's communism. Mostly it's gay. And so is that what this this writer, this commentary track, was he kind of like, oh, yeah, we were really subversive back then. Oh, he's sneaking into gay stuff. Or mm-hmm. what What was his kind of attitude about it? I don't know. I, I think it was just for tension and a little extra tension between Van Damme and Leonard. Well, it works. I mean... Even if you view them as straight characters at work, like you're still sensing the jealousy. 
Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily have to be because Leonard wants to have sex with Philip or is attracted to him. I mean, it works on every level. Yeah. It could be that. Yeah. But it could also be he's not dad's favorite kid. <laughs> he, he likes... Mom, <laughs> Mom always liked you best. <laughs> so it works for that way, too. And then Philip's reaction to it, watching it with a critical eye, knowing what I know, what the filmmaker, what the the writer said, what everybody probably knew, how this is going on, blah, blah, blah. Philip acts like he knows Leonard is gay and is attracted to him, and he's treating him like someone that he doesn't want as a partner. Kind of laughs it off and belittles him. He kind of treats him like a stupid little girl. Yeah. I guess is the best way to say that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, the way you treat somebody with a crush. Yeah, like, oh, they got a crush on me. And at first it's cute, but then it's like, and you start getting meaner to him to yeah. try and make him... Walk away. So that you don't have to actually have the confrontation where you go, look, you've got a crush on me. It's never going to happen. And then you've got to have, you know, you've got to do that thing where they're like, ah, I'm crying. And it's like, oh, God, just, just hate me. I just want to make him hate me. I think you're... Filling my belly full of sour apples. Rotten apples? Rotten apples. You know the visual language of film here. Second 49. Leonard gets up and he and he goes across the uh, room and he's standing. He's got the gun behind his back. And he's standing there talking to Philip. And between them is this flickering fire. Yeah. They've got this chaos yeah, between them. Awesome. Right now, their relationship is very fragile. What Leonard is trying to accomplish is to turn Philip against Eve. Yes. And Philip... Doesn't know why this is happening. He's like, what is going on? He might sense that Leonard has a crush on him. That could be part of it. Yeah. It was written that way. Yep. He could just sense that. That he's trying to get rid of her out of professional jealousy or one less uh, share. One less share. And let's put a pin in that because I want to talk about that a little in a little bit. So we have him standing here. They've got the fire between them. Is that Hitchcock being a genius or is that us seeing something that Hitchcock never meant? You're just like, I'd like to have a fire in there. A little bit of motion. <laughs> well, I, th- I think the genius of Hitchcock is that we're asking that question. <laughs> yeah. So the minute ends in the middle of them arguing and uh, all the tension between them. Yeah. I wish there was some way for me to watch this movie again after we got done recording these minutes. So I could pay attention to the kind of questions I had going through it. Rather than just kind of watching it as a lark, on a lark as kind of a proto James Bond movie. Yeah. Which god, you know, being the tent team or whatever to work on these minutes, that's probably been talked about nonstop <laughs> by everybody. So we're not gonna do it. Or else we're not gonna do it until later. <laughs> In the future. In the future or before. In the not too distant future. <laughs> A few days ago in the future. I'm really glad that we got the minutes that we got. I'm really glad that uh, Captain Jim reached out to us and let us do these. I think we've got some pivotal... It's nice. I'm just going to say it's nice. Yeah. It's nice just to have some some scenes where things happen. Where things... Where the plot gets moved forward. Yeah. We've got some character tension. We've got some things to talk about. We've got some subtext. Right. It isn't just all exploding and hanging off people's noses and stuff. <laughs> the guys after us, they get the big ending. Yeah. Big ending. Think about that. Think about how big endings have changed throughout movie history. We go from here where they're hanging off, where they're hanging off a nose and someone just comes in and like shoots at them. <laughs> if this were made today... There would be helicopters, there would be, like, SAM missiles, 
exploding around them as they climb on the nose. Yeah. Exploding parts of the president's faces off of them. <laughs> There'd be a guy on top doing a like guitar solo on top of Lincoln's head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Lincoln's doof warrior. <laughs> Lincoln the doof warrior. <laughs> you can find the Hitchcock Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play or at the main site, HitchcockMinute.com. You can also find us at The Man on Washington's Nose on Facebook and on Twitter at Hitchcock Minute. Don't forget that there are over 100 other Movies by Minute podcasts available at MoviesByMinutes.com. Please join us here next time on the Hitchcock Minute. Goodbye, Mr. Thornhill, wherever you are.